This is a program of the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. You can go to traincpe.org and learn more about our work in over 40 countries. You can also find us through the links at breadoflifeboise.org where you'll learn about our local missions fellowship. For now, we take our Bibles in hand and I'll invite you to turn to John chapter 14. Our lesson today takes us back into our present situation where pastors like myself are addressing their fellowships remotely through emails, letters, taped audio and video messages, live streaming through the airwaves, but separate. Still, God's Word is living and sharper than any two-edged sword, and I hope today the Spirit uses the Word to cut deep into your hearts. So keep your Bibles open to John chapter 14, verse 30, and these words of the Lord Jesus. The disciples of the Lord Jesus and Jesus himself are hours away from stepping into the chaos of his passion. An agonizing time of prayer in the garden is going to initiate all this. Christ will sweat great drops of blood as his human instinct to avoid suffering kicks in against the great and unimaginable suffering that lies ahead of him. The disciples are about to be overcome with sleep as they watch the Lord Jesus descend into his agony and his grief, and they literally cannot deal with it. They can't address it, and so they're just lost, you might say, to a lethargy of their own confusion and sorrow. They can't stay with him during this time. They can't accompany him during this time of prayer. They'll sleep instead. Their sleep will be broken when a band of soldiers will appear, and Judas, one of their own, will come leading them. A brief struggle of resistance will ensue, and then a flash of fear as the disciples will run away while Jesus himself is led away to trial. In a very short while, the Lord Jesus will be passed through a succession of different individuals and from place to place and brought under judgment at each one of those places. Annas will judge him first. He was a powerful former high priest. Then Caiaphas, the present high priest, will judge him. Then he will be sent off before the Sanhedrin and he will be judged. Finally, he'll be rushed to Pilate, or I should say after that, he'll be rushed to Pilate. Pilate will send him back to King Herod. Herod will sing him back to, send him back to Pilate. Pilate will bring him before a multitude of the Jews, and the Jews will cry out their sentence, crucify him. During all these different stages and before all these different individuals in all these different places, he'll be led from place to place by various accompaniments of soldiers and guards, and each place he will experience mocking, accusation, beatings, plucking of his beard, the threading together of a crown of thorns to be placed upon his head. Finally, he'll be scourged. He'll be led away to carry his cross to a place of crucifixion. He'll be crucified. He'll be buried. And all this happens with a frenetic pace, one thing after another thing after another thing. And during all this time in which this takes place, the Lord Jesus will go mostly silent. He will only offer up a few limited words and through this time that his disciples are being swept away into the whirlwind of this anger and this animosity and this agony, they'll hear no words from the Lord Jesus directed towards them. So before entering into this telling moment, the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples and he basically says, I will no longer talk much with you. I'm not going to have the opportunity to say much to you after this. And if you interpret that, basically what it means is, pay attention to what I'm going to say to you next. 
These are the first things you'll need to keep in mind when you are submerged into the events that are before us. So, this morning, let's consider these words and see what it is that Jesus knows that he communicates to his disciples at this moment in time and what it is that Jesus boasts before what it is that Jesus knows. Those are the two points of observation we're going to make this morning. What Jesus knows before he descends into this horrific experience and what the Lord Jesus boasts about as a result of what he knows. These are the things he wants his disciples to remember with the few words that he has left to share with them. The first thing we see here is that the Lord Jesus knows the great onslaught of the enemy that is before him. He says, the ruler of this world is coming. That's how the Lord Jesus characterizes all of the events and everything that's going to take place as he's submerged into this passion. Satan is about to throw at the Lord Jesus everything that he has. And the Lord knows that all of the various actors that will shortly come before him are merely petty tools of Satan's schemes. Jesus could have said, and he did this in the past, he could have said that the chief priests were going to arrest him, that he was going to be beaten and abused by him, that he was going to be turned over to the Romans and crucified. He could have said at this very moment, Judas is right now planning to betray me and gathering together the soldiers from the Sanhedrin to come arrest me. He could have said all those things, but when he speaks of it and he gives us an overview of what's taking place, he lays them all down, all of these characters, he lays them all down as petty characters, minor actors, little pawns, and Satan's murderous assault. He says, the ruler of this world is coming. What's coming upon us right now is all that Satan is planning and all that Satan is exercising and all that Satan is strategizing and putting together. These individuals are just the pawns that Satan is using. Satan uses weak, sinful human beings motivated by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Just normal people like ourselves with normal, selfish passions of the fallen nature. Satan uses these. Satan uses us as the miserable tools for his destructive actions. Satan is a murderer. He is a destroyer. He is ever at work to wreak havoc on humanity. And there's not a single human being that he does not hate and that he does not want to ultimately destroy. Only he will destroy them after he has used their sins and their pettishness and their selfishness to serve his own purposes. Much more now, it's his delight at this moment to coordinate all these different motivations and selfish motivations in the various individuals and all their different weaknesses and to coordinate it all together in order to wreak his havoc on Jesus Christ, in order at this moment to attempt to destroy God himself. So with that said, let's make a few applications to that observation. This surmising of all that is about to take place by the Lord Jesus with this simple phrase, the ruler of the world is coming. Satan is about to exercise his power in this moment. And here are four applications. The first application is this. This is the reason we followers of Jesus Christ want to live in full surrender and obedience to the Lord Jesus. This is the reason we want to yield ourselves up completely to the control of the Holy Spirit 
always asking that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into how we're to live and how to behave, always calling upon the Holy Spirit to work within us to put to death the expressions and deeds of our flesh. The reason is, the alternative to this, is that we easily become pawns to Satan's destructive schemes. Our little pettiness, our little expressions of willfulness, the idiosyncrasies of our own personality that we oftentimes excuse. I just have a problem with impatience. I just sometimes speak a little too much. I just have a short fuse. I just have a strong sense of what belongs to me. I just believe in fair play, whatever it is. All those different idiosyncrasies in our life are the things that, if not brought under the rule of the Spirit and put to death by the Spirit and governed by the Spirit's leading, even our strengths, not put under the reign and rule of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, these things become the material and we become the tools by which Satan exercises and pours out his own venom on God's creation and exercises and pours out his own destructive schemes on those that God loves. So what do we say to that? God, let me live in utter surrender to you. God, let me not give a pass to those things that I have said, well, that's just my personality, that's the way I always am, or, you know, I'm just a, an impetuous person, and I just, I just speak the truth whenever I see it, or whatever it is. God, I want all things to be reined in by your Spirit, and where anything in me is an exercise of my own self-will and not bowed to your authority, I lay it out before you right now, and Spirit, spare not the sword. Come and slay it. Come and put it to death. I do not want to be a pawn of the enemy I want to be a slave of righteousness in Jesus Christ instead. Here's another thing that we want to point out in the story, and it's a little bit more obvious for us, but our story reminds us that the Savior knows the full force of evil that was before him, and he doesn't turn away from it. There's a very interesting verse in Isaiah 53. We've actually referred to it in our last two messages. Let's refer to it again. Isaiah 53, verse 11 there in Isaiah 53, verse 11, here's what it says of the work of the Savior in dying for our sins. It says this, With full knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. There are a number of different occasions when we have set into a project. Maybe now that you're stuck in your homes, your wives have convinced you of projects that you need to begin working on. And so you've released yourself to some project, putting in new flooring, taking out a wall, building a garden in the back of your house. At some point in time in the project, usually it's within the first 25% of getting the job done and you see three quarters of the work still ahead of you, you think to yourself, if I'd only known the sacrifice of effort and time this was gonna require of me, I wouldn't have begun this. I wouldn't have stepped into this work. Well, here's the thing. The Lord Jesus knew everything that was before him. He knew everything that was facing him. He knew all of the venom that the enemy was going to cast against him. He knew all of the, uh, the outpouring of his animosity and his anger. He knew all the violence that would tear in upon his physical body and all that would tear at his very soul. He knew the sinfulness of this world and he knew your sins, all of them. And he knew the exact punishment that had to be exacted on all those sins. He knew the hell that our sins deserve and that he was going to answer for and experience in our place. He knew it all. He measured it all out. He knew your resistance and your refusal of him. He knew your turning from him, your ongoing rebellion to him, even as he relentlessly pursued you through the cross to bring you into relationship with him. 
He knew it all. He knows you. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're going to do. He's already suffered for it, and he knew it before he suffered it. He knew it all, and yet he still went to the cross for us to suffer in our place. We should rejoice in that. We should give him praise for that. Here's another thing along these same lines. He knows what Satan still will do to harm and bring destruction and all the plans that he still has yet to unleash upon you and me and upon this world. He knows it all. Jesus not only knew what Satan was going to pour out upon himself at the cross, the Lord Jesus knows what Satan wants to and will pour out upon the church. He knows what he wants to and will pour out upon you. He knows what he wants to and will pour out upon this world. He knows all of it. He sees all of it. He understands it all. He knows when the hour of power has come for the enemy and what the enemy will do and what his stratagems are. He knows it. And here's the fourth thing. He knows what Satan is doing, but he also knows what he's going to do with it. And he knows he's going to defeat Satan. He knows that God is going to continue to honor what he said when he told Adam and Eve and the serpent that he'd make the serpent crawl on his belly. He knows that God is going to make, in all of Satan's stratagems, God is going to make Satan eat dirt. He knows it. He knows what he's going to accomplish. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.